The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have a very special guest with us, Dr. Robert Shin. He also goes by Bob. He is a graduate of Yale University and received his medical degree from the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. He completed a neurology residency and fellowships in neuro-ophthalmology and multiple sclerosis at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Shin is currently professor of neurology at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital and director of the Georgetown MS and Neuroimmunology Center. Dr. Shin has a special interest in health disparities and multiple sclerosis, as well as visual problems associated with MS and other demyelinating disorders. On today's episode, we talk about racial and ethnic disparities in multiple sclerosis. Thanks so much for being here today, Bob. Oh, it's a real pleasure to be with you. Yes. And we had you on earlier on the Missing Link podcast talking about various vision symptoms for MS, as well as differential diagnosis with other symptoms that can have vision changes. So if our listeners haven't checked that out, definitely do that. It was really insightful. Today, we have a different topic that I think needs to be discussed more, and that is the differences in various races and ethnicities when it comes to MS, there seems to be a lot of unknowns just with management and or treatment. Where do you think that stems from? Why do you think that happens? Well, you know, I guess we warmed up with an easier podcast before, and now we have a really hot, controversial topic. But to your point, the fact that we know so little about this really reflects, I would say, some assumptions and really some bias that's existed in the MS world. Because I was taught and I have taught others, and you can still find this in books and in literature and websites, statements that say things like multiple sclerosis is primarily a disorder of Caucasian women or women of Northern European ancestry. That's been our bias from the beginning, right? That the typical MS patient is a white woman, typically in a young age group. And I might say at some level, there could be some truth in that statistically speaking, for instance, it is true that more women than men have MS. And it's been observed that Northern Europeans in particular have a high incidence of MS. So, so again, I'm not going to say that these statistics were just made up out of nothing. But what I would say is that emphasizing that has meant that we are slower to recognize MS in, for instance, men with MS, and plenty of men get MS. And we're also particularly slow to recognize MS, in, in my opinion, in people who are Black 
or Hispanic or Latinx, because we just hadn't been taught that those populations experience MS. Another side of, I guess, this inequality, if you will, is that often people in minority populations haven't been participating in clinical trials. Either they were never asked, or perhaps they're not accessing the healthcare system in the same way as someone who's you know, in a more majority racial group, for example. So I think these factors together, our own, if you will, bias towards what we thought MS is, as well as really not as much outreach in terms of research means that really we know so little about how MS affects people in these different groups. Absolutely. And as we know, MS is, well, used to be, it's getting better pretty challenging to diagnose. So many people were misdiagnosed. I have so many clients, the majority of my clients, I would say, have either been misdiagnosed at least once or they're diagnosed with MS, but they'll tell me that their first symptoms were like 20 years ago. They were just never given a diagnosis. So that's just in general, even for Caucasian women, Mm -hmm. let alone whether it's African-American or Latinx, where that's MS diagnosis might be completely not even on the radar. So, you know, adding in this racial or ethnicity group, it might be even harder to get that diagnosis and therefore get on proper treatment as soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely. You're correct to point out that MS is often either underdiagnosed or there's a delay in diagnosis, as you said, for everyone. We're just slow to pick it up. Actually, it's a little bit sad. It, it would be another conversation, but I've had many patients who are young women who are really blown off, like, oh, you're just anxious, or maybe you need a boyfriend, or something, you know, like some really like sexist kind of, you know, patronizing types of statements instead of taking the neurological symptoms seriously because they can strike at a young age. You can be, you know, 18, early 20s. And, you know, when you're otherwise healthy, it's been missed. But I would say, but that effect is amplified if you're in quote unquote, the wrong group, you know, that the doctor doesn't even think of it. And this is kind of amazing, but I have a number of patients who are black or African-American who were told by their diagnosing doctor things like, huh, wow, you have a white person disease or, you know, oh, let's say when we were talking about optic neuritis, like, well, you know, if you're white, I might be worried about multiple sclerosis, you know, so this bias is really pervasive. And, and again, I, it's because that's how we were taught. We were just taught that affected that group. Now, I do want to make a statement, really, if I could correct the record a little bit. Recent research has shown us actually that the incidence of MS in Black and white Americans is identical. The risk of MS is the same, whether you're Black or white. In some studies, actually, African-American women might have a slightly higher risk of MS. And so if we thought that it was predominantly in white Americans. That's just because we weren't really paying attention, frankly. And so statistics and research has shown us, oh, it's not more common in white than black Americans. I guess I should be honest and say in America, it is predominantly a white country, right? So there are technically more white individuals with MS than black, just because they're more white Americans than black Americans. But per 1000 Americans, it does not matter if you're black or white. And I feel like we need to get that message out there so that we, the healthcare providers, aren't missing it just because somebody's the wrong skin color. But I think we also need to let the community know that African-Americans need to know that MS affects your community too. You know, I'd love to have more Black colleagues in the MS space because I would say, yeah, it, it affects your, you know, if you will, your population as much as a white population. And, and we need to be more vigilant for that. 
I, I would kind of say sort of analogously, in my opinion, we should stop emphasizing that it affects women more than men. Because I use the analogy of heart attacks. For a long time, women were recognized as being less likely to have a heart attack, which is true. Men are more likely to have a heart attack. They just have more risk factors and they're more likely. But if a woman does have a heart attack, she was more likely to die, which is terrible because it would typically be not recognized. All right. So it was a little bit less common, but that led to underdiagnosis in women. So now if you think about signs of a heart attack, you, you don't see, it, nobody says, oh, heart attack, primarily a disease of men, right? It's just signs of a heart attack. Everyone needs a man, woman, whatever. Like if you have signs of a heart attack, you know, get to a hospital, right? And I feel like we should talk about MS that way too. Black, white, man, woman, it doesn't matter. If you have neurological symptoms, if you have optic neuritis, for example, or you have something, you need to get attention so we can figure out if it's a mess. And I just feel like we should stop emphasizing sex and race in this way because it's only leading, it's only exaggerating or worsening the underdiagnosis and delay of diagnosis in those groups. Absolutely. And one thing I keep hearing from others is that the prevalence of MS is on the rise. Mm. And a big part of me feels like, I don't know that it is. I think just diagnosis is getting better. You know, technology, MRIs, people are getting diagnosed quicker rather than sure. waiting the, the 20 years or so. But yeah. especially if you are in one of those minority groups where might not be on the radar, hopefully those eventually will start to get diagnosed even sooner. Yeah, yeah. You bring up a really good point, which is that maybe the increasing diagnosis of MS is just because we have better tools and we're more alert to it. I will say, however, it is also still possible that is increasing in frequency. We're, we've, as again, you, you may be covering things like the evidence that maybe there's a viral trigger for MS, right? And it is, I mean, we've, I don't want to bring it up. And, you know, I think we all are sick of tired, sick and tired of hearing about, but there is a worldwide pandemic still happening where a virus kind of spread around and has been doing stuff. So it might be both factors. Better recognition of MS is leading to more diagnosis of MS. Maybe a third factor would be we're more motivated to find it because now we're actually pretty good at treating it. You know, so I think there was a time when people were just not really making the effort to diagnose it because. Before the 1990s, there was no treatment for MS. So people are like, well, you know, I don't know, like maybe, but you know, what's the point of it? Now it's like, no, let's figure it out. Because if it is MS, I have effective treatments. And then, as you said, we have better tools to do this, more wide accessibility of things like MRI and more information. But now we need to make sure that that is being applied equally to all demographics that we aren't, if you will, putting blinders on by only focusing on one small subset. Yeah, and it is good to know that research has shown that it's about 50-50 of black and white, and it isn't just white people as mm -hmm. what used to be thought. I believe there's a study out there that indicates that younger white women are often diagnosed with migraines before what the actual condition is. They're mm. just kind of brushed off as, oh, that you're probably just having a migraine, when in reality it's MS or actually another neurological condition. So as you're saying, recognition of what is actually happening versus brushing something off as, 
oh, you'll get over it in in a week Absolutely. or you know temporarily. Yeah, so important. I mean, it is tricky because it goes both ways. Just for your audience, people who do have migraine do sometimes have small white spots on their MRI. That's pretty normal. So I've seen it both ways, as you said, where people have symptoms suspicious of MS, but maybe they're misdiagnosed, or again, as you said, maybe a little bit blown off, or, oh, it's just migraine. I've seen it go the other way as well, though. I've seen people who I think have migraine who might be diagnosed with MS just because of the spots. So really what it's telling us is, as you've been emphasizing, is how important it is for us to really investigate thoroughly and get the diagnosis correct as early as possible. Yeah, so it's definitely two-sided. One side is educating other healthcare practitioners to be on the lookout for this, but also all demographics that, hey, this is a possibility for anyone. Yes. So the linking piece potentially could be research, you know, getting involved in research. How can people with MS, specifically Black, African-American, Latinx, any type of demographic get involved in clinical trials? Yeah, it's a great question. One thing we've observed in a lot of MS clinical trials is they're not very diverse. You know, it's, it's very common to have MS studies where 90% or greater of the participants were white and, and, and typically women more than men. But it's really, we think, because we haven't been asking all the time is, is really what it, what it comes down to. Now, it is true, it's been observed that there are also different relationships to the healthcare sort of field by different groups. And this is due to some historical injustices and, and frankly, really bad behavior on the part of scientists towards certain communities. So people may be aware of the Tuskegee experiment where people who were Black were denied treatment for syphilis so that scientists could observe what was the effect of syphilis untreated. You know, just some really unethical things that, that really existed kind of into the modern, into my lifetime. You know, this it's not like historical ages and ages ago. As a result of things like that, sometimes there is resistance in the community, just a lack of trust, just saying, well, I don't trust the, the scientists. You know, I think they're just here to experiment on me and things like that. So we have, I would say we, meaning healthcare providers, have to do something to sort of bridge the gap and to heal the rift that we created. But I also have to say, I've also experienced a phenomenon where lots of African-American patients are happy to participate in research. We just need to think to ask. You know, and, and it's really almost just that simple. But it is important for us just to understand it better. I, I hadn't really mentioned it, but some of the little information that we think we know that is out there suggested that, well, if you're a Black person with MS, your prognosis was worse, that you ended up with more disability, particularly for African-American men, where it was said, oh, for African-American men, their MS is extremely aggressive and associated with a lot of spinal cord disease and a lot of disability. And something similar for Hispanic or Latinx populations where there's been reports that there's more likely optic nerve involvement or spinal cord involvement, maybe even earlier than for non-Hispanic whites. My concern with studies like that is that we were a little bit hampered by the fact that we don't have a lot of broad participation. And I would also argue that if we acknowledge that we might be underdiagnosing MS, especially in, I guess, if you will, minority populations, men or people of color, then, or Hispanic Latin, Latinx patients, 
then maybe the people that we do recognize as having MS in those groups are the ones with the more aggressive disease, you know, because that's how we figured it out. They had, they came with like, you know, very aggressive disease and a lot of MRI lesions. And we felt like, oh, you have MS, you know, and maybe we're missing the maybe milder forms of MS. For instance, studies have told us that if you look at white women, a common presenting complaint is paresthesias, a little bit of tingling, pins and needles. That's a really common presenting complaint for a white woman. And again, I'm kind of speculating, but that isn't really a common presenting complaint for, let's say, a black man. And that could be partly, maybe doctors don't recognize it. If we're honest, men are not good about going to see a doctor. They might shake it off, you know? So they might be, ah, I'm fine, you know? But maybe a black man, if they go blind in one eye, is going to go see a doctor. Can't argue, right? If a black man suddenly is unable to walk and can't control his bladder, his family's taking him to the emergency room, right? So that could skew our observations. So when we say things like, oh yeah, black people with MS, they just have more aggressive disease. I'll be honest, I kind of question that. Maybe if we had a crystal ball and I could identify it in all individuals, regardless of race, regardless of sex, regardless of color, maybe we would see the true pattern. And you know, maybe, maybe just everybody gets MS and just some have it more severe than others. And, and again, all it is, is to me, a call to action. Like we need to reach out to the different communities to inform them. We need to teach each other, like through your podcast, like we need to spread the word that, you know, black or white, you might have MS. We need to figure it out, man or woman. We need to figure it out ASAP, you know, and make the right diagnosis and get you on an effective therapy as soon as possible. Absolutely. And one thing that we talked about in our previous podcast episode was that optic neuritis was one of the first symptoms that a lot of people who are diagnosed with MS felt. And one speculation was that it's because it's such a red flag. If our vision changes, we do something about it. Whereas if it's a lesser symptom, we might brush off as something else. Same thing applies here. If someone who is in a minority or anyone that's not the typical MS, the Caucasian female, only goes to the doctor when it's a symptom that is alarming, then of course they're going to start to think that whoever that demographic is means that it's also more aggressive, which could be completely the opposite. Might not be. Yeah, it's hard It's hard to exactly know until we have better right. information, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I would say, and we've been sort of dancing around this over and over again, is about, we talk about delay of diagnosis and you have many you know, people that you know who had their diagnosis delayed. But if you think about it, the more, the longer the delay, the more disability you're going to present with, right? So especially, I'm just picking on, let's say, African-American men who have been reported as having more progressive disease, more spinal cord involvement, more disability. Well, are we sure it isn't because we've been slower to identify it? And so when they get to us and get diagnosed, they're basically farther along and not having had the opportunity to be treated. For example, so I'm just saying these are all things that might confound the observations. In other words, it's always a problem, right? We don't know what we don't know. Right. So, so we make these observations, but you know, how valid are they really? And what should we do with those observations? In other words, even if these things were true, what does this tell us? I would say, oh, well, then we need to be on it, right? We need to be making the diagnosis and getting people on highly effective therapies, ASAP, like regardless. Yeah. And even that education is worth spreading too. You know, whether it is truly more 
common than we think where any population is just as likely to get MS. Mm -hmm. Or if it is more aggressive in certain populations, either way, it's good to know that information so that you can take action, whether you're the person potentially with MS or the healthcare practitioner. Absolutely. And, you know, that reminds me of sort of a sad observation that was made, which was that even with the sort of widespread understanding that Black Americans with MS have a more aggressive course, what appears to be a more aggressive course and more disability. Studies have also shown that if you're a Black American, even when you're diagnosed with MS, you tend to be offered less effective therapies than if you were in a different racial group. And I think that speaks to some things that we struggle with still in the US, right? There is still systemic racism in the US. You know, it's hard to we've all just grown up in this environment and we make certain, there are certain unconscious biases that are present. So, I mean, how ironic is that? That on the one hand, we say, oh yeah, Black Americans have more aggressive disease. And yet the practice has been that they're not offered the most effective therapies, right? So it's really, in, in my mind, it's adding insult to injury. Like that's exactly the opposite of what you were just saying is if anything, if it is true that their disease is more aggressive, just intrinsically, I'm not sure that's the case, but even if that were true, well, shouldn't that be a call to action to be using the most effective therapies for people in these groups? And so again, I think there just needs to be a little bit of a change of thinking when we approach race and ethnicity and MS. Absolutely. And so I suppose that the call to action from this episode would be to share this information and also participate in clinical trials, which the website that I'm aware of to find out about clinical trials is clinicaltrials.gov. Are there other ways? What what do you suggest for those that are looking to get involved? Well, if we're talking about, let's say, African-Americans with MS who are interested in getting more engaged, there is a National African-Americans with MS Registry, so naamsr.org, so maybe maybe you can add it to your materials. And so definitely, in, in my where I am in Washington, D.C., I have a large percentage of African-Americans with MS, and I try to make sure they're aware of this resource. Clinicaltrials.gov is, is obviously good. But Maybe I would also say the key is to bridge the gap would be to have the conversation with your healthcare provider. I do have to say, and I am going to make a stereotype, there are individuals maybe who you could argue are more comfortable with the university type setting or research setting who often ask me, hey, what's going on? What's the latest research? Are there any trials I can participate in? You know, and I would love that to be the kind of attitude that everybody has, man, woman, black, white, you know, and just saying, hey, um, is there something going on that I can be a part of to try to understand this disease better? And again, so that's going to come from both directions, right? If you're a person living with MS, you know, I would want you to feel empowered to ask questions like that of your provider. And then I think on the provider side, you know, people listening who care for people with MS would say, hey, let's make sure we're, you know, keeping our eyes open for individuals who would be good candidates for our different trials so we can advance the research so we can understand this condition better, regardless, again, of sex or race or ethnicity. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes the reason people don't pose questions to their doctors is they assume their doctors know more. And in this case, they might not. You know, that's why they're doing research because they're trying to figure it out. So I think for some people, even just knowing that there is somewhat of a more level playing field with some of these questions that we're raising, it might make them feel more comfortable reaching out and asking. I hope so. Yeah. That's movement in the right direction for sure. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, I will put those links in the show notes if anyone is interested in them. And Bob, thank you again. This is such an important discussion that hopefully will spread far beyond just this podcast. I hope everyone shares this because it could be a game changer and so helpful for everyone with MS, but especially those races and ethnicities where there is that delay of diagnosis and lack of treatment. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for bringing this super important topic to the table. I I think that that's really admirable. So thank you. Of course. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.